Um, we here in the United States could use Venmo, but Venmo, actually, you don't control your money. It goes through and then it puts it in a bank and then your money's in a bank account. If I sent you USDC stablecoin, you would have those assets with you immediately. And then uh, you don't have to be in Kansas City. You could be in Costa Rica. You could be in South America. You could be in you know, Africa. And you would have that money instantly with you. You own your assets. Whenever Logan and I are together at an event in person, we always have the best hair in the room. You better so. believe it. You better believe it. What do we always say? Hair's right, sales right. <laughs> Welcome to Invest for the Win, where we discuss strategies to win at the game of private investing. Whether you're a novice or a seasoned investor, tune in to hear experts break down complex topics and reveal emerging trends in private investing. Head over to investforthewin.com to find links to these episodes and additional content. Position yourself to invest for the win. Hosted by the founders of FTW Investments, Logan Freeman, Corey Tuck, and Parker Webb. Today on the Invest for the Win show, we have Michael Flight. Michael Flight's a really unique thought leader in the blockchain technology space and how that's going to impact the commercial real estate space, as well as triple net lease retail properties, where retail is going, the different trends that he's tracking and investing in. Uh, we talk about freedom thinking, we talk about petroleum, we talk about cryptocurrency. I think this is going to be a great episode for you to learn a lot. And uh, I know you're going to find a lot of value in it. Welcome back to the Invest for the Win show. On today's show, we have Michael Flight. Michael is a founding principal of Concordia Realty Corporation. Found that in 1990, and more recently, the CEO of Liberty Real Estate Fund, which is the world's first net lease security token fund, which we're going to talk a lot about today. Michael is a real estate entrepreneur and blockchain real estate evangelist who's an expert in retail real estate, which is timely for FTW because we are uh, heavily allocating into this space. So I'm excited to ask about that. He's been you know, involved in investment, redevelopment, the tokenization um, on, on the blockchain, which I think is, uh, is incredible. So we're going to dive into that as well. Michael started his commercial real estate career in 1985 and has an extensive record of partnering with some of the world's most well-known banks and insurance companies, hedge funds, and institutional investors in many successful projects. I've had the pleasure of meeting Michael multiple times at different events around the country, and he's a, just a, a pleasure to talk with and um, really learn from. So that's what we're going to be doing here today. Michael, I provided just a brief overview of who you are and your experience, but tell us through your eyes, starting with how did you get being to one of the top thought leaders in triple net lease properties and the tokenization of real estate? But first, dive into what led you actually getting into the real estate space. Well, thank you very much for the introduction, Logan. And uh, I always like to say whenever Logan and I are together at an event in person, we always have the best hair in the room. You better so. believe it. You better believe it. What do we always say? Hair's right, sales right. <laughs> so uh, to answer your question, I got involved with uh, real estate uh, probably back in, in college. Okay. Uh, and uh one of the things was, was that I was studying college to, to be a, a Lutheran pastor and the ancient languages, Greek and Hebrew were a sign from God that I should probably find something else to do. So 
<laughs> I, uh, I, and my brother and I just, I, I can't remember how, what, what happened, but we went to like a, a nothing down seminar at a local holiday inn and, you know, it was one of those, uh, at the time there was no internet and, you know, it, there sure. wasn't, and the guy was just like, run to the back and grab your book and, you know, you can pay for it. And, you know, I thought I was going to be a multimillionaire within two weeks. And then, you know, we, we showed up and, you know, the, the real estate broker said, you guys actually need a job before you can like borrow against it. And there's all these other issues. Yeah. So, uh, but it didn't discourage me. I, I went on to become a real estate broker, became a commercial real estate broker in um, the retail real estate space. Uh, we represented a number of tenants that were expanding rapidly in the Chicago area and uh, then went to work in the late 1980s for a large uh, shopping center syndicator. They had about 270 shopping centers nationwide. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and then uh, they were primarily a, a tax dodge. So most of their deals were structured that they never made money, but they kicked off all kinds of uh, tax losses. Um, and then they, you know, during the, the Reagan administration, they changed the, the tax rules so that they simplified the taxes. So all that stuff went away. And they also, uh, there was a savings and loan crisis. So uh, the world, well, the United States went through a recession in the 1990s. So my, myself and a few partners decided to start Concordia Realty Corporation. So we, um, did a lot of value add uh, retail properties and we joint ventured with a lot of uh, institutional investors, did everything from ground up development to uh, redeveloping uh, three large malls. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm curious on the partnership side, you know, okay. So you said uh, shopping center syndicator back in the, did you say seventies? 1980s, 1980s. I graduated from college in 1986. Gotcha. I got you there. Um, it's hard to communicate the jokes through uh, the Zoom, but I got you there. So back in the 1980s, right? So syndication, somewhat of a, a you know uh, antiquated kind of uh, model, but it seems to me that the Jobs Act of 2012 really illuminated the uh, syndication business, but people were doing it before then. Is that correct? Yeah, um, actually, it, there, I, I've read books, you know, uh, throughout my career, and there was guys doing syndication back, you know, since the beginning of the Securities Act in, in 1933. So, yeah. like, Harry Helmsley was, you know, super successful in New York doing syndications and actually syndicated, you know, the, uh, the Empire State Building. Yeah. So, there was all kinds of guys that made huge money and lost huge money doing syndications throughout the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s and, and into the 80s, you know, okay. and, then, and, and then beyond. And the real estate trust. So actually, Sam Zell started out, um, number one, buying uh, publicly traded corporations and figuring out how to use the tax credits. But he was also doing syndications. Right. And then since he had that background with publicly traded companies and the syndications, uh, he really started the modern REIT phenomenon because he took, uh, I think, three or four of his uh, separate companies, put them together in, in REITs in the 1990s because it was really tough to get financing mm -hmm. uh, in early 1990. 
So the big difference about 2012 Jobs Act, the Jumpstart Our Business Act, was previous to that, you had to know a syndicator, right? You had to know somebody because they were not able to widely market. Well, one, the internet isn't what it is now. You know, we probably didn't have Zoom back then, I would imagine. Um, but the, tw- the the Jobs Act of 2012 really kind of put some gasoline on that fire because now you can utilize social media and digital marketing. I understand. But previously, you had to, to really maybe know somebody that was putting these deals together. And I've read uh, Sam Zell's book, Am I Being Too Subtle? And I follow him uh, very closely. And I really, really appreciate uh, the work that he's done in our space. So, okay, that's a great uh, transition, I think. So you are in the retail sector, right? And you started in the retail sector. Um, tell me about the uh, the investment thesis around just retail properties. I know that's where you got your start, but did you ever venture out and look at any other asset classes or did you kind of just niche down and say, hey, this is what I'm going to learn. This is what I'm going to own. And this is what I'm going to operate. I'm really curious to hear that, Michael. Well, um, I originally got into retail real estate because as a commercial real estate broker, um, when you're starting out, I started out straight commission. Yep. And you have to knock on a lot of doors. So out of laziness or out of efficiency, I said, um, you can knock on a few doors. And if you get one of those tenants, that's a retail tenant. Uh, in the Chicago market, they could expand and, and do 20 stores. So that's like one contact, 20 deals versus if you were doing office or industrial, um, it's one contact and basically then you do one lease and then you go back and, and start again. So like this is uh, to me a better model. And I also love the thing I love about retail real estate is it just encompasses about every type of business. So you've got um, large chain stores, which are, you know, multinational companies. And you've also got, you know, little guys that uh, are just some of the most creative people possible, but you have to understand their business because you have to understand how they're going to be successful uh, in order to put them into a shopping center so that the shopping center is successful. And if you take right. a look at a shopping center, and you look at it like a, a department store, and I know department stores are, are kind of out of business now, but you know how you see in Target and Walmart, they have individual departments. There's the clothing department, the shoe department, the you know auto department. So how do you merchandise a shopping center that the sum of the whole is better than one tenant alone? Yeah. So that's kind of um, you know I, I really really love this the you know, uh, the business model of retail real estate. I still think there's, you know, we're going to get into it a little later. I I still think there's a lot of uh, legs and and room to run with it, but that's not all. We've been a boutique firm. So we've done uh, condo conversions. So we've taken apartment buildings and loft buildings and made them into condos uh, with a partner that's a local uh, real estate, you know, broker here. We flipped about 150 houses. You know, we've raised money during uh, the downturn of 2008 from you know Canadian institutional investors that went out and bought portfolios of houses. We've done workouts for banks. Uh, so, and we've owned office buildings and other things. But uh, probably, and I've owned apartment buildings. But uh, you know, retail real estate is uh, number one, probably my first love, and number two. 
uh, probably the thing I know the best. So I, yeah. I do believe that if you know something and, you know, there's still room for growth in it, you should, you know, try to specialize in that. Michael, would you call yourself a professional opportunist like Uncle Sam Zell? Um, you know what? He's a, a lot better at uh, jumping on opportunities than than I am, um, you know, and but, uh, you, you know, I, I do think there, there's room for growth. And um, hopefully with uh, blockchain technology, we can leapfrog uh, Sam Zell and, uh, you know, do way more for uh, the individual investor and way more for worldwide uh, real estate investment. Very well said. And that is the segue that I wanted to move into was I feel like you are a professional opportunist in the sense that you, you seem to be a really early adopter in this blockchain technology uh, to make real estate more tradable and accessible. So let's start from the beginning. What, what made you, um, you know, confident in the uh, blockchain and how that's going to disrupt and, and change the commercial rate real estate industry. I'm, I'm so curious to, to ask that question and, and hear your feedback because it's something that I'm tracking pretty closely. You know, uh, as early as, uh, and I can't remember the exact, you know, years because right now things kind of run together for yeah. me. And, uh, but right around 2014 or, you know, 2012, one of those, you know, people that are very smart that I really respect and that are also freedom minded uh, started talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And then right around 2015, really super smart and really wealthy, really financially um, sophisticated individuals started, you know, saying the word blockchain. And I tell the story, I'm like, I told my kids, I'm like, I don't know what this is, but you need to figure this out because all these people that I know that are really smart are talking about blockchain. And so you need to figure it out. And then to fast forward, um, your friends, and we probably got connected through Adam Carswell and yeah. uh, Adam, you know, works with me and, you know, we've had a great relationship, but Adam and I are also um, citizens of a startup country called Liberland. And uh, through, you know, Liberland, we met some guys out of Romania that were doing a, uh, a um, they were tokenizing real estate. And so it was an ICO, which is initial coin offering. And those are illegal in the United States. But uh, these guys put together a real estate coin uh, called Bedcoin, and they raised like 750000 to a million two um, on, you know, just a white paper and a website. And right. like, if these guys that don't really do real estate, uh, but our technology guys can do this, I'm like, this is just, and you mentioned the, uh, the Jobs Act, which really started crowdfunding. Yeah. I'm like, this is crowdfunding on a worldwide level. This is like supersized crowdfunding. And the way I like to describe blockchain, because let's back up a little bit. Um, people get really scared when they hear blockchain or cryptocurrency. And it's like, oh, isn't that, you know, what they use to do drug transactions and everything. <laughs> and I just always explain blockchain as just like internet was the communication system and it created instantaneous worldwide and almost free communications. So like we're doing the Zoom, this couldn't have been possible, you know, without the internet. 
uh, blockchain is the rails of the new financial system so that you could transfer money, value, or assets anywhere in the world. And you know that they're transferred securely and uh, it can go peer to peer. So I can right now send you Bitcoin or I can send you a USDC stablecoin. You would have it instantly. Um, we here in the United States could use Venmo, but Venmo actually you don't control your money it goes through and then it puts it in a bank and then your money's in a bank account if i sent you usdc stablecoin you would have those assets with you immediately and then uh you don't have to be in kansas city you could be in costa rica you could be in south america you could be in you know africa and you would have that money instantly with you you own your assets absolutely absolutely i've really started to, to understand the blockchain technology for a couple of reasons. One, I like to be a freedom-minded thinker. Um, and two, um, I'm, I'm always listening to the real estate guys and George Gammon and all of these different folks that are talking about certain things and you know, central bank di digital currencies and all of these different ideas and, and things that might come to fruition because um, the world will change and it is changing. And so how do you see the blockchain technology being applied to the commercial real estate space? And what does that trend look like? Let's dive into that um, and then talk through how you um, have implemented this in your business with your tokenized fund as well. Sure. Let's just hit on one thing you just said, which is your freedom minded thinker. And I like to remind people, especially since, you know, real estate investors are listening to this, financial freedom is upstream of political freedom. Mm. If you do not have financial freedom, you will not be able to defend your uh, political freedom. So that's what's most important. And that's what, you know, Logan is bringing to you with these podcasts and everything yep. else. But um, to, to answer your question, Blockchain in real estate is going to make real estate more accessible mm -hmm. for investors. Okay. So um, because, as you know, uh, if you're doing syndication right now, uh, that syndication, you're getting a paper share of a piece of property or a fund. And so basically, it's a physical paper representation of your ownership in that fund or in that building. Uh, this is just an updated version. It's a digital uh, representation of your ownership of that apartment building, of that you know, fund, of that oil and gas well. And, but what's really great about the digital stuff is that it makes it tradable and it makes it much more accessible and as we just said, with you know me transferring money to Logan anywhere in the world, your assets follow you anywhere in the world. So you own your assets, whether you're here in the United States where I'm at in Chicago, or whether you're in London or all the rest of it. And so you own those shares of the building, but those shares you actually control, you know, wherever you are. So that's the difference. And it's going to make uh, real estate, as you said, with the Jobs Act and crowdfunding and everything, it, we got to the point where people can invest smaller amounts of money. With uh, the blockchain, it's going to allow 
uh, because it's a distributed ledger system, you can keep track of things a lot better. You can keep track of who owns things. You can keep track of where you're sending the payments to for syndicators. And as an investor, you can uh, actually keep track of you know, your assets in, in one spot. So it makes it much easier to own smaller pieces and to like parcel out. So it'll make real estate more accessible. And the really cool thing is, as you started talking about with the 506C, you do not have to know your investor. So for example, our fund is a 506C fund. And after a one-year lockup period, uh, and this has been approved by the SEC, uh, these tokens can trade to accredited or non-accredited investors. So non-accredited investors will be able to get into quality real estate projects like the kind that Logan's putting together. Um, and it'll have one year of seasoning. So you'll be able to see a track record of one year, and then you can invest in, in real estate. So I think it's going to open up you know, real estate investment is going to take a lot of money out of Wall Street and put it into where it should be, which is cash flowing, uh, you know, and tax benefited, uh, you know, prime real estate. So one follow up question on that, Michael, great job describing that and breaking that down. I appreciate it. Is do you well, first off, I just checked my Robinhood account and, and I don't see my Bitcoin from you yet. So I'm, I'm still waiting <laughs> on it. But the second thing is on the Robinhood thing, right? Will you be or do you see this as uh, as accessible on your phone to be able to log in and to some app and, and be able to um, to purchase, you know, um, real estate through, through a tokenized offering through an app like Robinhood? Is that where the industry is going? 100%. So okay. we're working right now with um, tokenization platforms. And uh, right now, it, it's not there. Sure. And I, I'm glad, really glad you brought that up because I, you know, I was just actually down at Bitcoin week and there was a, a real estate conference and I was speaking to, you know, a few different people that were involved um, with not only wallets, which are where you store your Bitcoin, uh, but also with tokenization platforms. And so this one, um, probably one of the best known tokenization platforms out there, and uh, they'll actually white label it. But uh, the only way that you as the investor can take your tokens, you have to set up what's called a MetaMask wallet. And so that is just a nightmare because sure. it's like, um, I, and I, I told these guys, I'm like, I, there's no way that I'm going to explain to real estate investors how to set up a MetaMask wallet. And so my exact words were, uh, we're going to have to create a interface, a user experience that's as easy as to use as Robinhood. Mm -hmm. And so I immediately contacted some of my uh, Romanian friends that actually, you know, work in, in doing that type of programming. And I said, are you familiar with Robinhood? And they said, yes. And then, you know, they even named a few other trading platforms. I'm like, sure. can you make one of these for me so that it's easy as possible that people that are really scared to use any type of technology um, can see instantly how to, you, how to do it and how to make real estate investing intuitive? That's incredible. Wow. That will be a game changer for sure. And and I just want to absolutely say that is not there right now. Sure. Uh, we hope that that will be there, you know, within the next, you know, six months to a year. 
but we are definitely not there now. We are definitely, people ask me where we're at in terms of, you know, tokenization and all the rest of this. And I was just down, you know, uh, a, a friend of mine uh, is the CFO for Grant Cardone and, and he invited us down there. And I was talking to some of the people with Grant Cardone and, uh, you yeah, know, his right-hand man, you know, Ryan Tesco says, well, you know, show me how this is done. Show me when it's done. I'm like, well, I'll explain to you, you know, in a, a baseball game, uh, we are just walking out of the dugout, you know, getting onto the, you know, field for the first inning. So that's we're we're really early adopter stage right now. Uh, but there is so much wave behind this. And uh, with the adoption of cryptocurrency, with, as you said, with the adoption of central bank digital currencies, um, this is coming. This is going to be a tidal wave. And whether it's, you know, 2023, 2025, 2028, uh, at some point, and I know this is one of your questions, uh, most, if not all, syndications will be traded as digital securities, whether they're widely traded or whether they're just issued as digital securities so that people can track where they're at on a blockchain. Absolutely. Um, really interesting stuff there. Um, the other piece that I've read about and the reason that folks are, you know, really interested, I think, in tokenizing these real estate offers is, is secondary liquidity. So talk to us about that. I mean, is, let's say, you know, you have a real estate deal and it's a tokenized offering and, you know, maybe there's a um, a reason that one of the investors is interested in getting out before the whole business plan is uh, implemented or the whole period is done. Does blockchain and does this being able to, to utilize the blockchain technology create secondary liquidity for investors that maybe want to get their, you know, their tokens out and sell them somewhere else? And where is that at in the industry as well? Or is that kind of feed into what you're talking about with, uh, you know, being out in the first inning right now? I think, uh, number one, it, it does, you know, come up as being in the first inning. So there really isn't a tremendous amount of secondary liquidity. But um, this was always the thing that most of the technology people always led with, and they, they still lead with is it's like, yeah. oh, this is going to be liquidity for real estate. And I always say, um, there's a bunch of publicly traded companies that are in the pink sheets where they're, they're not really traded that much. And if it's a $10 million property, um, more than likely, there's not going to be a huge amount of liquidity. No, more than likely, it's not going to be listed on an exchange. Yeah. Uh, but there is much more hope of liquidity for that investor than there is now in a paper syndication. Because in a paper syndication, you might have the sponsor, you know, having the ability to buy back your shares at, you know, certain times. Uh, but there's still a lot of restrictions on that yeah. versus with the tokens, there's going to be a lot less restrictions on who can buy it. There's still going to be restrictions, especially with, you know, what country somebody's from buying it and, and all the rest of it. But there, there is going to be more liquidity. And here's the other thing that I, I like to lead with. Um, there's going to be a whole market out there where if lenders, and there's, there's lenders out there right now that are looking into this, but lenders would be more uh, willing to lend on your shares so that you could potentially 
not have to sell those shares, but you could potentially leverage mm -hmm. against those shares. So if these lenders, and it's called decentralized finance lenders, but there's going to be yeah. you know, a, a bunch that, and this is coming, and you could do it right now on cryptocurrency, so you could borrow against your Bitcoin. But if the lender gets comfortable with the net asset value of the individual property, like whether it's you know one shopping center or whether it's one apartment building or whether it's a fund, it, the, le the lender could lend you up to 50% on your shares. So that's mm -hmm. one way that you'll get liquidity out of your right. shares without actually having to sell them. Uh, but the other thing is, is that there's things called ATSs, which are mini exchanges uh, you could list your shares with a broker dealer. Uh, there's going to be full-blown exchanges. Uh, so there's going to be a host of options that you could actually trade your shares and that you didn't have before. So I always like to tell the example, my father, probably in about 1984, 1985, invested in a hotel project in Columbia, Missouri. Um, and my father died in 1986. And so my mother was stuck with that hotel which never ever paid anything. She got tax losses out of it. And then uh, during COVID in 2020, the hotel went into foreclosure, they gave it back. So, you know, she's this 80 year old woman who had this thing for 40 years, couldn't get rid of it, and then ends up with, you know, all kinds of phantom income. So if that would have been a security token, she could have perhaps done something with that a, yep. a little bit sooner. There, there could have been you know, any host of things that she could have done versus just having to sit there until this particular sponsor decided to get out of this deal. Very interesting. There's a group here in Kansas City uh, called Rialto who is working on uh, creating a, a secondary marketplace for private uh, REITs and uh, trying to solve the same, uh, the same problem, not through the blockchain necessarily, but just through a you know, from a secondary liquidity standpoint, and th those guys built the the bats exchange and things like that. So I'm tracking that uh, really closely as well. well and Rialto is, is is good guys. They're they're sharp. There's also Oasis Pro Markets. There's um, T Zero. Um, there's INX now. Uh, there's some guys out of um, I I think North Point Capital uh, out of Utah. So there's going to be a number of places where you could list these things. And then uh, brokers who are securities brokers and broker yep. dealers have access to those. So it, it's going to, and especially if you could get those all connected. Oh, and there's also securitized markets, but securitized really um, isn't, you know, right now looking to, to play with a lot of other people that are trying to create their own marketplace. But, uh, you know, once those markets all get integrated, um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot more opportunity, especially for larger funds. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Let's transition to some predictions more around just the retail sector in general. So I'm just really curious to hear kind of the trends that you're seeing take place in triple net lease and retail real estate and, and uh, how those are affecting um, the asset class right now. Because I'm not sure that I'm, you know, one of that many that are still allocating into um, retail um, that I know of and hear of just on the space. I know it's happening and there's it's happening for good reasons. But talk to us about just retail real estate trends that you're seeing right now and where maybe some opportunities might lie. Sure. Um, the, you're going to hear a lot about all retail is going to go online. 
And that's not necessarily the case. There's going to be commodity items that go online. Sure. Uh, but if you look at the largest um, retail distributor, which is Amazon, uh, they've been expanding like mad. Uh, they not only bought Whole Foods, but they're also expanding their um, uh, bookstores again. So they're like doing physical bookstores and they're expanding uh, a Amazon Fresh. Uh, they have Amazon Five Star. And so they've realized that um, you need not only online presence, but you need a physical in-person presence. Uh, the other thing is it costs twice as much to distribute online than it does in person. And there's way more returns because what a lot of people do in, in buying online is they'll buy five of the same item, try it on, keep the one they want, and then just return the rest, yep. which has really uh, kicked up the opportunity for stores like Marshalls, Ross, and TJ Maxx because they yep. get all those returns. Uh, so, because everybody was wondering with the demise of the department stores, what's going to happen with Marshalls and Ross and those guys that carry seconds? Well, it's all these online retailers when stuff is opened and everything, they get those returns. And, and so the, there's an active, because people want the physical experience sometime. And then there's a strategy which most retailers are now putting together, especially um, there was one retailer that a lot of the stuff they assume was going to go online, Party City, but Party City put together a buy online, pick up its store. Mm -hmm. So it's called a BOPIS strategy. And a lot of these retailers have it now. So you see it with yep. the stores and stuff. So you can click online on your phone and you could either have it delivered to you. Uh, you could have it where I'm going to pick it up in 15 minutes. And with geofencing and stuff, the store actually knows that you're pulling up in front of the store and they run out there and give it to you. Or you just decide, I'm going to go, uh, I know it's at this location. So I, I wanted to, you know, buy something this weekend at um, Williams-Sonoma and I needed it for Easter. And so it's like, okay, what store has it? It's, it's uh, at this store. And so I, you know, drove into the city and went to Lincoln Park store and, and bought it there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I track the, so when you say, you know, uh, the question around um, are all retail sales going to be online? You know, I think in 2021, uh, no, sorry, 2020, 13% of all sales were online. 2021 picked up, uh, it was 14.4% and Amazon owns 50% of that. Right. So, um, you know, that that tells me that 86 percent is still happening in brick and mortar. Um, and so it, it, it may be changing and it may be increasing. But I, I find that um, there's a lot of e-commerce resistant service based tenants and businesses that um, prospered during uh, COVID-19. Well, and, and the big thing that you're, you hear so much about is the metaverse, the metaverse. Coke is buying, you know, like the stuff in the metaverse. And, you know, even Facebook changed their name to meta to yeah. you know, pick up on the metaverse. Um, but a lot of that is, um, you know, just basically advertising and eyeballs and, you know, driving people to the store. Yep. But it, it costs way more to acquire a customer online than it does to acquire a customer in person. It actually costs less. In if you're concerned about the environment and all the rest of it, it's actually way more efficient and it's less emissions and all the rest of it 
to do in-person retailing versus online distribution and, and all the rest of this stuff. So there's, there's many things to be said about you know, in-person, but the biggest thing most people don't understand is you have to actually, and that's why Amazon still has 50% of the market, because it's like, how do you get people going to your website? Or how do you get people going to your location in, quote unquote, the metaverse mm -hmm. to then actually buy the stuff? And then you can have it either delivered to you or you could go physically to the store if you need it right away. Absolutely. Um, that, that's just a great, a great point to, to make there, too. Um, OK, so lots of things changing in the world. You know, we've got war. We have a global pandemic. We have big debt and debt monetization. You know, I read a lot of Ray Dalio in the changing world order. We have the pleasure of speaking with you today, Michael. You've been investing through the last four economic downturns. So what have you learned uh, from investing during those periods of time? And, and how are you looking at where we're at uh, right now um, in, in how to be successful in the investment space? Um, I think number one, and, and this is my uh, you know, biggest advice to everybody, is don't watch the news, don't listen to the news, mm. okay? And um, a lot of the gurus out there that are telling you where to go and you know that uh, there's this whole new world order and everything else, it's like um, you make money to create your freedom. Okay. So you're either trading your time for money um, or you're investing in assets that are going to create financial freedom for you. So make the best decisions for what's good for you and your family. Don't listen to what all the rest of this negativity. And, you know, basically if you start listening to the news, you're going to get sucked into stupidity and negativity. Mm -hmm. uh, listen to people like Logan, who's out there putting out you know, ways to build, you know, financial freedom. So that, that's the biggest thing. Um, yep. And then the other thing that I learned right from, you know, 1990, my first downturn. And uh, I remember going to the International Council of Shopping Centers convention in Las Vegas. And the signs up there were stay alive till 95. Yep. I remember in 1990, uh, up, you know, at the top of one of the skyscrapers in Chicago at a luncheon, and they said, there's never going to be another office building built until 2020. And sure enough, there's cranes, you know, actually on the skyline three years later. Yeah. So uh, it's never as bad as they say it is. And, uh, you know, right now, just be careful where you're putting your money because a lot of stuff is overinflated, um, especially, you know, what I'm concerned about is a, a lot of overheating. Uh, especially I do see it in the single tenant, triple net lease space. And I see it with the apartment buildings where, you know, some of these people are buying at three caps and, you know, figuring that they're going to be bailed out by cap rate compression. Um, and they, they could very well be, but, you know, I wouldn't bet on that, especially yeah. since, you know, interest rates are going up and, uh, you know, something's going to happen with inflation. The other thing that I will tell you about, uh, which you should look into, and I think you're going to see a big comeback. And one of the, you know, reasons for the comeback is because the pandemic in 2020, a lot of these tenants were closed down so that when they restarted, a lot of, you know, retail leases were redone again so that there's percentage rent put in. 
Yeah. Well, the great thing about percentage rent and what we used to do back in the 1980s and 1990s was because of the inflation in the 1970s, if you've got percentage rent in a tenant's um, lease, as the tenant increases their prices, those prices actually get paid back to you and you're sharing in the tenant's percentage rent. So that's something that can inflation-proof your portfolio and it will go up as fast as the tenants increase their prices versus waiting around uh, for an industrial building or an office building or an apartment building for prices to, you know, rents to reset. Yeah, that's a great point to make as well. You know, one of the trends that I'm I'm watching and reading about a lot is, you know, the maybe the the change in globalization that um, you know may happen because of the the war and and our relationship with China and what opportunities that you know presents for um, opportunities in the real estate space here in the United States. I mean, um, just watch. Uh, I mean, was it Intel in right outside of Cleveland, Ohio? I believe you know eight hundred million. Uh, dollar facility that's being built there. I think we're going to see more of that. You know, I think that companies like that and and car manufacturers who couldn't get their chips, uh, we might see a lot more onshoring, which is going to create opportunities for a lot of different um, aspects of real estate, in my opinion. So that's another trend that I'm I'm kind of thinking about. Have you been uh, following that and and thinking through how that affects maybe retail or even just the well, position? they better uh, onshore a lot of those foundries because I believe eighty percent of the foundries are in Taiwan, yeah. and uh, China has Taiwan surrounded. Yeah. And uh, with uh, the latest thing going on in Ukraine and Russia, this is an opportune time for China. You know, yeah. th- this might be a, a once in a lifetime thing for. China to do, you know, take over Taiwan. Um, and if that happens, then, you know, we are really screwed that, you know, it, and it's going to take a while to build those foundries you right. know, here. Um, and the other thing is, is that we have all kinds of natural resources here. And what people don't like to hear is that uh, almost everything that we do throughout the day, no matter what, has some form of, you know, petroleum product in it, Mm -hmm. whether it's the plastics, whether it's the phones or all the rest of that chair I'm sitting in. Yes. 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 So it just, you know, number one, uh, petroleum products save the whale because they were killing whales at an astronomical rate to, you know, provide lamps. So petroleum products are the greatest force for good. And so, and you know, I'm not saying that we can't go carbon free, but if you are going to go carbon free, you better figure out how to spool up the, the nuclear power because mm-hmm. that's your most dependable form of power. Right. Uh, and if you really think you're going to do it with uh, wind turbines and solar panels and stuff, I have installed those. We've got we've put them in our properties. Uh, they don't you know, perform that well. They don't really add a whole lot. Uh, and if you really want to like put that much solar power in, you're going to have to cover an area the size of Texas to do that. And it's still going to be unreliable power. So you're going to need something like dependable, you know, dams. You're going to need something like dependable nuclear fuel and you need, um, you know, gas is the feedstock for uh, all kinds of other things. So I, I'm, you know, I'm positive that, you know, with that, 
the rest of the world can, you know, just increase, multiply and flourish. Yep. Yeah, I, I was just reading a, um, a Wall Street Journal article this morning about how old coal mines that have shut down, they're looking to repurpose those into mini nuclear power uh, plants, which I think is a really unique and interesting uh, way to create some clean, sustainable uh, energy. So um, I, I know there's a lot of folks in think tanks and, and things around the United States that are trying to figure out, since they already are uh, tied to the grid, how do we repurpose this shutdown coal mine? It's already got a workforce you know, built in and, and let's, let's reuse it. And I think there's opportunities like that for sure. Well, um, and, and we as real estate, you know, capital raisers and, you know, capital syndicators and capital aggregators, it's like, how can we like figure out how to finance that? So how, how can we figure out how to finance the infrastructure of the future? Because that's what all this stuff. And um, you don't get, you know, cell phones, you don't get Bitcoin, you don't get all the rest of this. I, you know, make the Bitcoin maximalist people that I run into, I make their head explode when I say, well, you can't have Bitcoin without real estate, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because they have this utopian right. view that, you know, Bitcoin solves everything. And it's like, well, it does. But, you know, if you really want that future, uh, you need real estate to be a part of that. Very interesting. I could talk a lot more about that, but we're going to transition to our last segment around uh, more of your legacy. And I'm, I know you mentioned your, uh, your children and they better get to, you know, understanding these different trends as well. But I I want to ask you what inspires you and why do you do what you do, Michael? You know, I, uh, I, I've, we've had probably, you know, more than 30 interns come through our, you know, company over the last uh, 32 years. Uh, I, most of the people that I work with are under the age of 38. Um, I am really inspired by the people that are out there that are doing it, that, you know, are, are younger and they just give me all kinds of ideas. Mm. Um, I, you know, I just had somebody ask me, it's like, uh, well, aren't you going to retire or what are you going to do for retirement? I'm like, I don't know why I'd want to retire. Yeah. You know, I I'm just meeting so many interesting, exciting, fantastic people. Um, you know, this, this blockchain technology coupled with, you know, real estate's ability to create wealth, um, it gives worldwide human flourishing. And I, I like to use the statistics. Since 1990, you know, billions of people have come out of abject poverty. Uh, right now, where are those people going to put their money to create wealth that they can transfer to their, you know, next generation to, yeah. to generate? And so they've got like the middle class income, but how do you create intergenerational wealth? And so if you can make it easier to invest in either real estate here in the United States or real estate in Africa, or, you know, somehow to, you know, create a, an easier titling system so that they know they own their assets. Um, You have created worldwide international wealth, and we don't have to listen to what they tell us in the World Economic Forum that, you know, we need to start killing people so that we can live on this planet. It's like, let people control their own assets and let people flourish. Beautifully said. I uh, couldn't agree more. 
Uh, I appreciate that. And thank you for being a thought leader and an early adopter in this space and sharing your message as much as you do. Um, if folks want to find more about what you've got going on, the tokenized real estate fund, different things, point them in the right direction, Michael. Sure. If they want, uh, they can go to our website, which is libertyfund.io, libertyfund.io. It's got a lot of information on triple net properties. We've got uh, a podcast called uh, the Nothing But Net Show, net, net, net. Um, and that's they could find that on our website. We have a special blockchain real estate report, blockchain real estate 2022. So all they have to do is hit the button and get the special report. And if they want to learn more about how to invest in you know, blockchain real estate funds or how to create blockchain real estate funds. We are doing again the Blockchain Real Estate Summit in Austin, Texas, September 23rd and 24th. And they can go uh, to that, attend that. Uh, it's going to be two days. It's not only going to be about how to issue security tokens, legal security tokens. It's going to tell you everything you need to know to get them traded. And you are going to be on the front uh, end of that. But we're also going to have special panels on NFTs, uh, which are non-fungible tokens. Uh, we are even going to have somebody from Raul Paul's uh, Real Vision, Nick Calaris, uh, moderating a panel on the metaverse. So if there's any of this stuff that you don't quite understand, if you go there, you're not only going to have a ton of fun. It's a beautiful setting in Austin, Texas, on the University of Austin, Texas. Uh, there's going to be great, you know, parties and, and all the rest of it. And you're going to learn a ton about this and meet fantastic people that are actively doing things in the space right now. Fantastic. Michael, thank you for your time and insights. I know our listeners are going to find this valuable and I surely did. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to invest for the win. If you found this episode valuable, please take a moment to share it with a friend you think could benefit from the insights of our experts. Also, don't forget to take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Visit investforthewin.com to learn more.